Welcome to the Vivid Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening from today, it's our hope that this message would help you reflect the light of Jesus' life for all to see. Now, here's Pastor Justin Reimer. Man, you know there's value in, in people's story. We love stories. And in fact, this month, our entire theme, our series of messages is entitled, The Greatest Stories ever told. How, how many people are ready for story time today? Anybody ready for story time? Man, I, I grew up in church, and by that I mean I was actually in a church a whole lot. Anybody else grow up in church? I grew up in church in, uh, in such a way I, did, I wasn't choosing to be there. My parents chose it for me, but I, I found places uh, to hide in church because uh, I've, I found places like under the front row is a great place to have a nap when you're a little kid in church. Any, any church rat kids, you with me? You grew up in church. I grew up in church, and, and when, uh, when you grew up in church in the 80s, part of, part of the, the whole experience was something called a flannel graph, okay? Now, it is less exciting than it sounds, and it doesn't even sound exciting to start a flannel graph. Anybody know what a flannel graph is? Okay, nine of us know what a flannel graph is. We're the church rats in the place, okay? A flannel graph, don't worry. If you don't know, we're the weird ones, not you, okay? You're not on the outside of this by any stretch of the imagination. A flannel graph is essentially an easel with some felt on it and then uh, a series of, of images that have, like, Velcro on the back. And as a, uh, the teacher or the, the pastor would tell a story to kids, they would pull out little pictures that had Velcro on the back and just stick them up on this felt-covered easel, okay? And so it would be like, today's story is about, and they'd pull into their envelope, and you're like, oh, I know it. It's going to be Jesus. I'm so convinced it's going to be Jesus. I got this one. And then they'd pull out, like, this picture of Jesus with, like, pristine, long, flowing, beautiful hair and piercing blue eyes. I don't think it really fit culturally. And, like, a long blue sash, and, you know, it was like a little, it was like you could almost hear a trumpeter behind him, like, and there was like a little halo of light glaring back. And they're like, today's story is about, you guessed it, Jesus. And then they'd like put it on the, on, on the easel covered in felt. And then there'd be like a little pat-pat. You just had to make sure the, the Velcro stuck. So it'd be like, today's story is about Jesus, pat-pat. Make sure. Because if you don't, Jesus falls on the floor, right? You don't want Jesus falling face first on the floor. So, and, and, and not only Jesus, but also, and then they'd dig through the little like, envelope that they had. Some of you are like, this is scarring. This is strange. I'm just telling you, this is, this is what story time meant to me as I grew up. Today, and then they'd be like, also, and then there'd be a big one, like a big old one. Like Jesus was just his, like, almost like a paper doll. Some, some of you know what I'm talking about, 1980s paper dolls. But then this one would be a mob, okay? And it's like, also his disciples. And they'd put that one up. That one took three pats, pat, 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 because it was so big, had a whole lot of Velcro going on there. And then as they went uh, through the, the, the process of telling the story, all the key figures, all the key characters, all the key, uh, you know, sites would have an associated picture to them. It was essentially like a, a early version of animation, I suppose. It was trying to make a, a story more interesting. The, the, the interesting thing to me is this, that the, the stories of the Bible, if you really stop and listen to them, they are interesting in and of themselves. 
They're captivating. Jesus was a master storyteller. He had a way in few words to give description to something as as big as heaven, to give like a metaphorical picture for something as complex as faith, to give a a, a kind-sounding challenge on how we ought to live towards one another, to depict what forgiveness would feel like one person to another. Jesus was a master storyteller. And, And if you look through the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have the story ultimately of Jesus' story. In the end of the book of John, it says this, if we were to write down everything Jesus did and said, it would fill all the books in all the libraries in all the world. Like he was constantly pouring out wisdom. And in these four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, there's about 46 different parables, little stories that would give you a a, a glimpse into Jesus' ideology or into God's perspective. Jesus said this once to his disciples. Pat, pat, pat. They said, we want to see the Father. Can you show us what God looks like? And Jesus said, well, the Father and I are one. So if you've seen me, you've seen what God is like. So here's God through story giving us little glimpses of what he looks like. Little glimpses of his character. What I love about this is that stories are often easy to remember. I remember hearing once, if you want, if you want to be remembered, never, never make a point without painting a picture. Like, don't just make a point. Don't just list bullet points of, here, let me, imagine if you came here today and said, okay, today I want to tell you uh, 114 important things. No notebooks, just remember. And then I just started listing things. And, and they were in different verb tenses, and they were different you know, in length, and there was nothing memorable about it. But Jesus, being wise, knows that, that we forget. Do you know the, that, that science would say we forget about 90% of what we hear in two days, which is so encouraging as a, as a preacher. It's amazing. <laughs> it's amazing. It's like, okay, let me tell you some things that you're going to forget that are going to quickly go into that little spam folder in your brain Uh, It's amazing. So you're going to catch about 10% of this today. Jesus is wise. He's like, I want you to really get what I'm talking about, so let me put it in story form so that there's little triggers that remind you of some things. And so all this month we're looking at story. We're unpacking some stories and believing that uh, through these stories we can see a little bit of what Jesus is like. We can see a little bit of what he's calling us to be as well. Would you pray with me, and then we're going to dive in. Jesus, I invite you today to tell us a story. I invite you today to illuminate truth to our hearts. We lean in, push back distraction, and I pray that somehow miraculously you'd speak to everyone in the room through your living word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. You know, the Bible is so unique. It's the only book ever written that whenever it is read, the author is in the room. I believe, man, the Bible says this, the Holy Spirit illuminates truth to us. So as we open the pages of God's Word, the Holy Spirit is right here for us. Say, well, what does that mean? He oh, let me explain it to you. That's what happens. There's something sacred and special and holy about opening the Word of God. Today, I want to share with you a story that comes out of the book of Luke, chapter 10. 
Book of Luke, chapter 10. If you don't know where Luke is, the front of your Bible has a table of contents, or you can spell it L-U-K-E in, uh, in your, your phone, okay? The book of Luke, chapter 10, and if you're taking notes, the message today is entitled, All In. All In. Now, I want you to spell it a little bit differently than you might typically, okay? All in, A-L-L, that's not the different part, and then in, I-N-N, in, all in. In the book of Luke chapter 10, it says this, we'll pick it up at verse 25, on one occasion, there was an expert in the law who stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, Jesus replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And inside he did this. Yes. Because he knew the answer. He knew where Jesus was going to go with this. I want to propose to you that he was setting it up so he could be the, the kid who knew the answer, okay? Jesus answered him, you've answered correctly. Do this. And you'll live. Like live that way and you will experience life. Then it says this. But he wanted to justify himself. And so then he asked Jesus this. And who is my neighbor? And then he did a little mic drop. Because he's like, gotcha. Jesus didn't know I was going there. He thought I was asking like a rules-based question, but I got him because he had heard him say it before. You know, in the book of, of Mark uh, chapter 5, Jesus had already talked this through. He had already, or Matthew chapter 5, I should say, he had already talked this through. He said, here's the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus wasn't comfortable separating the two. He wasn't comfortable to say, I have, uh, I have multiple priorities. First and foremost, love me. And if you get around to it, love people too. And then you really, you got the one-two punch. He's like, I cannot separate them. You can't love the Father without loving his children. You can't love God unless you love the ones that God loves. And so this is the most important priority for you. Love God and love people. Now, I believe that that teacher of the law was there that day and he took notes and he thought, if I ever get a chance to talk to Jesus, I'm going to ask the same question, but then I'm going to add my own little nuance by saying, but who's my neighbor? Huh? Ever thought of that, Jesus? Gotcha. And so Jesus then, it says, goes on to reply in the form of story. You know, sometimes we ask questions expecting there to be simple, straightforward answers. Instead of, uh, of asking a question to justify himself, Jesus sort of doesn't even acknowledge the question, and he goes off into story mode, and he pulls out a flannel graph, and he goes, there was once a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Pat, pat. He was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. We won't show you that picture on the flannel graph because that's too graphic. They beat him up and they went away and they left him half dead. But a priest happened to be going by down that very same road. And when he saw the man and everybody's leaning in, they're like, oh, priests, they're good guys. This is a story about the good guys. 
This is a story about the heroes. But when the priest came by, he saw the man, and he passed on the other side of the road. So too, a Levite came. A Levite was a person who, who served in, in church, you could say, who served in the rituals of doing the right thing. Like, this was a really good person. This was like, you know, you've got that one person in your life, maybe you're like, they just don't make mistakes. Like, they just always kind of know what they're doing. Like, maybe your grandma is that person for you. It's like, then your grandma came walking up. Like, the good person who knows what to do. The Levite came up, and when he came to that place, he saw the man. He also passed on the other side. But then a Samaritan came as he traveled. Now, everybody right here uh, who heard this story for the first time was like, oh, a Samaritan. Because unfortunately, in this time, there was such harsh critique and criticism against the ethnicity that was referenced as Samaritans. There was so much racial tension between all of the the Jews that were listening to Jesus this time and the Samaritans. He was basically to that crowd saying, then one of them came. And everyone's like, well, we know if the priest didn't stop him, if the Levite isn't stopping, there's no way that a Samaritan is stopping. This is not the hero of the story. It says a Samaritan came as he was traveling. He came to where the man was. He saw him. And he took pity on him. He went to him and he bandaged his wounds and he poured out oil and wine upon them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper. He said this, look after him and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. Now which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who had fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who showed mercy on him. Jesus said, that's correct. Go and do likewise. What a great story. What a great story. You feel some things. You can picture some things. There's a man, he's on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, if you lived in that time or in that region, you would know Jericho is way up on a hill, and, 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 or Jerusalem's way up on a hill, and Jericho is kind of down in the valley. So he was making his way down a, a path on his way to a different city. It says he was just kind of sojourning. He was on a journey. He was traveling. And in that process, he fell into a bad situation, a situation that left him robbed, naked, and beaten. And the Bible describes it this way. He was half dead. Jesus, he's given real descriptive words here. He didn't say, you know, let me just kind of make this easy. He, he had a bad day. He's like, I want to give you some details what I mean when I say it was bad. He got robbed. He got beaten up. He got stripped naked. And he was laying on the road half dead. And then he goes on to describe these characters. Now, I believe that the teacher of the law who asked for it, who was asking a question to justify himself, interestingly, all his focus was on self. He's going, hey, Jesus, what do I need to do to, to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, what do you think you need to do? Well, I think I need to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I need to love my neighbor as myself. But who's my neighbor? He says to justify himself. All his focus 
is on self. And Jesus says, well, let me tell you a story. And I want to propose to you that that man, as he listened to the story, was going, well, which character am I? Which character am I? The priest? Then the priest kind of fails. He's like, oh, I'm not the priest. How about the Levite? Yeah, maybe I'm a Levite. You know, I'm not a priest. I'm not perfect, but I'm pretty close. Oh, I don't want to be the Levite. The Levite didn't. And then a Samaritan comes. He's like, I'm not going to be one of those. No way. No, how? That's not me. I'm different. I care about doing things the right way. Samaritans, they live on the fringes. Samaritans live a totally different way. There's no way you're comparing me to a Samaritan. And by the end of the story, when Jesus goes, so who do you think was the neighbor? He can't even say it. He can't even, even acknowledge it. Well, it was this Samaritan. He's like, well, the one who, who, who did neighborly things, I guess. I guess being a neighbor is about actually doing something with it. Jesus says, go and do likewise. You know, in this story, the, the hearers of the story, you and I, the teacher of the law, everyone who's ever opened this book and, and, and read this story, we are not the priest. We are not the Levite. And we are not the Samaritan. We're the one who got robbed. We're the one who got beaten. We're the one who got stripped naked and left half dead. This is a picture of humanity. Jesus telling a story about being a neighbor. He is speaking directly to our state as humanity. The Bible says that we are on a journey. Everybody is on a journey. Your life is like a journey. Unfortunately, it's a journey you don't always know the destination to. Anybody on a search right now? It's on a journey, and somewhere in the process of journeying from Jerusalem, which is a picture of of God's grace, a picture of heaven, through this earth trying to find our way, we run on hard times. We run into temptation. We run into an enemy of our soul who hates us. And the Bible says that, that not one person has lived righteously. So here's a man who's going, I have lived and observed the law perfectly. At that time in their book of laws, there was 600 different rules by which they should live. He was a teacher of all 600 of those rules. He knew those 600 rules. So he comes and he's like, Jesus, of all the 600 or so rules, which are the most important? Jesus says, well, you're a teacher of the law. You tell me. He goes, well, I've already kind of highlighted it in my textbook. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, good for you. That's kind of odd. I've said that. You've said that. From the beginning of time, God's been speaking that through people. So you already know. Do that and live. But here's the thing. It's impossible to do that without God's grace. Nobody can love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength without God's grace. And nobody can love their neighbor as much as they love themselves without God's grace. You agree with that? I want to venture to say that when you woke up this morning, you were thinking about yourself. I mean, some of you really noble people might have had a moment where you thought about like your closest loved ones or family, but then your mind went right back onto yourself. It's, it's funny. It's like a, a precondition we have as humanity. We are selfish, right? It's our default setting. We're self-focused. And this teacher of the law, though he knew these 600 rules, was still going, what rule do I need to do so I can feel good about myself? Ever live this way? 
What are the things, like, just show me the list, I'll do the list, and then I can feel good about myself. Jesus acknowledges what he says. He's like, okay, cool, but who's my neighbor? Because I want to justify myself. And then Jesus says, well, why don't we look at a story wherein you're not the hero? Why don't, why don't you let me tell you a story wherein it is not about what you do, where it's not about how you perform? And so instead of telling you who's your neighbor so you can go be awesome, why don't I tell you a story about what it feels like to encounter a neighbor? Here's what it feels like. You're on a journey and you, you get robbed. See, the Bible says this, that the devil, he comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Or to rob you, strip you naked, and leave you half dead. The Bible says the wages of our sin is death. Meaning this, that though we are alive, walking around, and breathing oxygen, that on the inside of us there is death until we receive the life of Jesus. So we are the man who was robbed, laying down. And the Bible says this, that the, the law was on its way. The law has on its way. The rules and regulations are on their way, but rules and regulations can't solve the problem. Rules, when they see a problem, they walk on the other side. The law says this, you got yourself in there, you got to get yourself out of it. The law says it is not my job to fix your problem. And so they're depicted in the picture of this priest is, uh uh-uh, I'm going to walk on by. You know, there's some people here, you're waiting for a rule to save you. You're waiting for a system to make you feel good about yourself. You're waiting to to somehow tick enough boxes that you're like, I think I tipped the scale. I think I could now describe myself as a good person. Not last week, but this week, pretty good. You're waiting for the law to come and, and say to you, hey, you're not robbed. You're not beaten up. You're not broken. You're awesome. You're waiting for the flattery that would come in going like, I'm doing better than other people are doing. And Jesus goes, that's not what this story's about. In fact, let me tell you to you two different ways, not only the priest, but also the Levite. Maybe, maybe in some way you can give, give license to the priest like he's got a lot on his plate. But then there was the Levite. We know he didn't have the same workload on his plate, and the Levite walked by too. But then there was a Samaritan. And in this picture, we are not the Samaritan. Jesus is. In this picture, Jesus is telling about himself. He's going, I want to show you what a neighbor looks like. There was a Samaritan despised by righteous people. Do you, know, do you know what really bothered people about Jesus more than anything? Was his friends. Like for sure. The critique against him was the friends that he kept. It's like, hey, Jesus, all those disciples you're with, they didn't wash their hands before they ate. And here you think that you're God's son, you don't even have the wisdom to pick clean friends. Like, hey, Jesus, what are you doing at a wedding where everybody's getting drunk? You hang out with drunk people. Hey, Jesus, how come you have friends who are prostitutes? This was the the description around him, was people critiquing the friends he kept. He was despised. He was misunderstood. He was treated like an outsider. He goes, I'm, I'm like this Samaritan here. And it says this, that when the Samaritan saw a man who was broken, not only did he acknowledge him, but he came to him. He drew near to him. He got up close to him. If you're taking notes, I think you should just write down the word closeness. Closeness. 
One of the characteristics of a neighbor is closeness. Jesus, he draws close. He doesn't back away. He draws near to the problem. He, he, he draws near to the pain. He gets up close to that pain. Not only does he get close, but he does something about it. He acts in care. He takes oil and wine. He begins to dress this man's wounds. He begins to clean up the the dirt that's stuck inside them, the rocks that have gotten wedged in them. He's carefully, uh, like the way a nurse might care for, he's taking care of wounds, and it says he binds them up. Somehow he's got all the perfect supplies he needs to take care of this man. Amazing that his grace is sufficient for us. Amazing that whatever our injury might be, Jesus has the solution. Amazing that he's got the the, the solution to every problem. You say, well, my problem is a little different. I got robbed in a different sort of way. I got beaten up and left half dead for different motives. It doesn't matter. Jesus is prepared. He came ready. I I love this. It says the man was kind of just on his way, but, but the Samaritan was traveling. The Samaritan was going somewhere. Jesus is on a mission, and we're the mission. Jesus was on, 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 on task. He was on target, and people are always the thing that, that moves his heart. So he pours out oil. He pours out wine. He binds this man's wounds. If you're taking notes, why don't you write down the word care? Not only closeness, but care. The good Samaritan, he drew near, but the good Samaritan also cared. He, drew, he put care into this man. Then number three, it says not only did he dress him up, leave him perfect, and say, hey, you good now, bro? You walk it off? Come on, can you walk it off? And, you know, I, I picture it's like every sport someone gets hurt, and for some reason like everyone rushes, and then someone goes, come on, guys, give them space, give them space. They need air. Like we're taking up their air by trying to get near, right? Give them space. Give them. And then inevitably within moments someone's like, you good? It's like, no, they're writhing in pain. They're not good. Hey, bro, You good? You good? It's like, he's a grown man. He's weeping right now. He is not good. His arm is supposed to be on this way, but it's hanging that way. He's not good, right? So, so even in closeness, it's possible to be close and not really care. It's also possible to care and, and, and kind of have a, an end to that care. But this good Samaritan, he goes one step further. He's committed. He's committed to the full recovery of the man who had been robbed. He gets him up from where he is. He puts him on his own donkey. And imagine that. He goes, I will, I will take the load. You go for a ride. I got you. See, this is what Jesus is continually saying to humanity. If he were to just like hashtag it with something, it would be like, hashtag, I got you. I got you. You don't need, to, don't need to be like a hero yourself. Don't try to be all brave and say, no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. I'm going to imagine the man. He's wrapped up, oil, wine, wounds are bound. He's like, no, no, I'm good. I don't need it. I'm good. I'm good. We do that sometimes to Jesus, right? You're like, oh, no, 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 I've been saved. That's enough for me. I'll just struggle my way through life. You know, I'm going to just go back the way the robbers came and see what happens next time. And Jesus is like, no, I got you. I got a ride for you. I'll bear this for you. And you know, it's a picture of the, the, the exchange Jesus makes where he says this, the, the Bible says in the book of Romans, he became a curse for us so that we might become the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. He traded places with us. Here the Samaritan, he's riding on his donkey, having a good old, he's, he's like, man, I got oil, I got wine, I got stuff I can make bandages with, I'm good, I'm on my way, I'm on a journey. He sees someone, he draws close to them, he pours care into them, and then he says, hey, let's switch places. You have nothing, I got everything, it's yours. You're unable, I'm able. 
It's yours. I got you. It's a great picture. Then it says this. He, he took the man to an inn, and he cared for him there. So he, there's closeness, there's care, and then there's commitment. If you're taking notes, just make sure you write those down. Closeness, care, and commitment. Closeness, care, and commitment. I mean, I suppose right here, right now, that's a good story. Right there, just end it. End it. You've, you've told what you need to tell about this neighbor, right? Like the whole story is sort of done, right? He said, hey, there was a man, man beaten up and robbed. The law passed him by. The law passed him by again because that's just what the law does. But then there was this good Samaritan, though he was despised. He drew close. He poured in care. He gave commitment. Story over. No. Not yet story over. Story isn't finished yet. For some reason, Jesus includes these extra couple of sentences that seem to deviate from the plot line of his story. I guess maybe they just give like a little asterisk going like, hey, he really, really cared for him. But check it out. Let's read those extra sentences just one more time in Luke chapter 10. It says, he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. Then verse 35, the next day, he took out two denarii. That's like two days' wage, okay? Denarii, it changed in value with inflation and deflation, but it always represented about one day's worth of wage. He said this. He gave the innkeeper two days' wage, and he said this. Uh, take care of him. Take care of him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any expense that you may have. And then the story's over. You see, in this picture, if, if Jerusalem is heaven and Jericho's the earth and that road is the journey we find ourselves on, and, and if the robbers that, that the man encounters in this story are, are representative of, of the, the lie of the enemy to rob, steal, kill, and destroy from us, and, and the priest is representative of the law and so is the Levite, and Jesus is the good Samaritan, and the oil and wine is his grace that he pours into us and his blessing, and the donkey is a picture of him taking our place and bearing our burdens. If all that is true, then, then what's the end? What's the end? The end is the church. The end is the church, Jesus saving people and bringing them into community, bringing them into a safe place and saying, in this safe context, you will receive the care that you need. But I'm coming back. If you keep reading scripture, you see from beginning to end, Jesus is pretty consistent. I'm on my way to where I need to go, but I'm coming back. At that very time, Jesus was on his way to the cross where he would take on the sin of the earth, where he would conquer death and rise again, but he would come back. And, and, and not too long later, he said to his disciples, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to prepare a place to you, but I'm going to return. I'm going to be back. And in the meantime, we're the end. In this story, not only are we the robber, Jesus is inspiring, inspiring us, saying, be the innkeeper. Like, you already know what it feels like to be robbed. You already know what it feels like to be beaten. But by my grace, you can be the innkeeper. You see, not only did the Good Samaritan show closeness and care and commitment, but I want to show you in just a moment how the innkeeper did the same. Now, in that time in, in history, in that time in antiquity, inns were kind of a new concept. Inns were kind of a new thing. Inns were like the, the Airbnb of the time, okay? 
It was a new thing. How many things? Everyone, everything's like the Airbnb of something or the Uber of something. You know, inns were like the Uber of Airbnb. I know it makes no sense. They were new, a new concept. Prior to that, you know, throughout all of history, it's like if you're on the road, you're on your own. But they realized so many people fall into trouble on the road. So many people, like robbers, just hang out on the road and wait for someone to take a, a, a pit stop and then they rob them. It's not a safe place. And so inns began to become popularized in that time. And the most important or valuable place for an inn was not in the middle of a neighborhood because neighborhoods already have homes. The most important place for the inn was near dangerous, painful places. You see, the church, if it it is going to be what what Jesus has intended it to be, needs to be close to dangerous places, needs to be available to those in trouble, needs to be a safe place for those who are in danger. You see, as a church, we always have to be drawing closer. Don't you love what the Samaritan does? It says he saw his pain, and then he drew closer. He saw his pain, and then he drew near. As a church, we can never never get to a place where we are separated from the pain of this earth. When we do, we're no longer being the church. When we do, like Jesus says, hey, did you see what the Samaritan did? Go do the same. If we're going to do that, the only way we can do that is, is to be in proximity of pain, to draw near to danger, to be where broken, hurting people are. Oh, but they're inconvenient, Right? Broken people take all my oil and wine, Julian. I don't like it. But like that's what the church looks like. So this inn was living in closeness to a dangerous place. Well, like one of the reasons why we would be launching a new church in New West and a new church in Kitsilano while we stay right here downtown is we want to draw near to where people are. We want to go to where people are at. We don't want to find the most comfortable spot that we can be all on our own and say, if you need anything, you know where to find us, because they don't. We want to go to where people are. We want to be available to where people are. And not just on our terms, but in the midst of their brokenness and pain, because we know what it feels like to be the robbed one, don't we? We know what it feels like to be the broken one, don't we? So as a church, we'll always be drawing near to pain. We'll always be drawing near to danger. We'll always be positioning ourselves for when people need us the most. That'll make church messier. That'll make it less comfortable. That'll make it less convenient. But it'll also make church the church. Okay? Without those things, we're just a social club. We're we're called to draw near to danger, to be close to pain. Number two, it's important that we actually show care. See, Jesus, it says the, the Samaritan came to the inn and he was caring for him. Like he, he invested in him. He poured out oil. He poured out wine. He bandaged him. He was taking care. But then he just says this simple little phrase to the innkeeper, take care of him. Conversation over. Take care of him challenging the innkeeper to feel the same way for the man that he felt. Take care of him. Okay, uh, just a couple of questions, clarifying questions. Uh, What did he do? No, no, no. Take care of him. Okay, sorry, just a, a couple of things. Is he still in danger? Take care of him. 
Okay, but but like real quick, like was he asking for it? Take care of him. Yeah, but is he like is he a jerk? Like is this just like the universe's way of getting back on this guy? Because like, hey, take care of him. What's in it for me? Take care of him. There's this call as people who are going to aspire to live like Jesus to not only draw close but to take care, to express care. Because it's possible to get close and be real mean, isn't it? Like some of the people closest to you are the people who have hurt you the most. Am I just talking to myself here? It's possible to draw up close and then point out flaw. Wow, now that I'm close enough to see, you really did this to yourself. Why can't we just care for people? Why do we have to try to to deconstruct how they got themselves into this mess? Imagine the story. Then the Samaritan pulled up. He said, hey, bro, like, were you showing off all the stuff you had and that's why you got robbed? Did you leave too late when you know better? You should have left early when it was daytime and that's why you got robbed? Hey, were you were you like... You, did you pick this fight? Not, he says, none of that. It's just he showed care, and then he says, hey, innkeeper, take care. I want you to know if you're part of Vivid Church, you have complete license and complete expectation to care for people, to care for the people in the world around you, to care for people in your life. That's the command of Jesus. That's the inspiration that he's left as a model. Take care. I think sometimes uh, Christians can be scared that if they show too much care, they're somehow putting like a rubber stamp of endorsement on behavior. I think we take ourselves too seriously. Right? We're like, well, this person's particular decision-making paradigm or lifestyle doesn't align with what I see in the rules of Scripture, and so if it doesn't align with what I see in the rules of Scripture and I draw too near, people will think that I agree with the behavior, and then what's that going to do? But then we see Jesus, friend of sinners, Hung out with prostitutes and drunkards. Put it in this context, he was okay being tagged in other people's pictures. He's like, that's okay. I'm okay. I was at that party. And so he invites us to take care of people. But what if they think differently than I? Take care of them. What if they value different things than I do? Take care of them. What if they come from a different background than I do and we just don't get each other? Take care of them. What do they got? Different goals, different aspirations. They're trying to do something that I don't even agree with. In the meantime, just take care of them. Life is hard enough as it is. We don't want to be those priests who are like, ooh, nope, can't get too close to that. It might rub off like your sin might somehow infect me. Don't you believe that, that the blood of Jesus is enough? The grace of God is enough? You're saved. You're saved. So draw near to people and show some care to people. Because no matter who they are, they're loved by God. Jennifer said it before. We got seven kids. Seven kids. I, I'm just imagining like someone come up to you like, man, you know, Justin, I, like you're amazing. Like for real, you're like it's not hard for me to imagine that it happens all the time. Like for real, you're amazing. Like you're awesome. And you and your wife, like you guys are, you guys are so like I'm inspired by you. I'm learning. It's amazing. And I like like most of your kids too. But that one, ugh, I can't stand that one kid you have. Like, for real, you guys made a big mistake with her. For real. But, but you, man, 
respect. See, the Bible kind of talks about this in a funny sort of way. It says, if you say you love the Father and you don't love his kids, then you don't love the Father. I'm telling you, I'm not receiving that, like, respect, bro. If you hit my kids, we got problems. And I just wonder sometimes if we don't draw near to what we find comfortable and step away from what gets us out of our comfort zone when God is saying, you're the innkeeper. Take care of them. Like, what an honor that we've been positioned in a dangerous place to care for people between now and when Christ would return, to pour out care into those who are broken and in need until the return of Christ. Just take care of them. So Vivid Church, we're going to draw closer and closer to people. In that, we're going to see the mess of humanity more and more. When I say we, I also mean me. I'm not talking about organization. I'm talking about as the people who make up the church. We're going to be close. We're going to show care. And then he, then he says this. I want to end with this today. He challenges the innkeeper to some real commitment. He goes, here's a little bit I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you. But whatever you spend above and beyond on people, I'll reimburse you for. Come on, think about this for a minute. The Samaritan says to the innkeeper, I'll get you started, but then you give out of what is yours, what you feel belongs to you. And I'll pay you back later. That's some commitment. Here's this innkeeper. He, he doesn't know the backstory. He doesn't know how the man got himself in trouble. He doesn't know exactly how long the Samaritan's going to be for. He goes, that's two denarii. Are you going to be gone more than two days? The Samaritan says, don't worry about it. However long I'm gone, it doesn't matter. I'm good for it. When I get back, I'll pay you back. That's why I am unashamed in asking people to invest into, into things that reach people. That's why I'm not scared to ask people, like, put your best treasure forward. Put your best of your time, the best of your talent, because Jesus will pay you back. The Bible says this, no one will be, in, like, God will be indebted to no one. There will be no one who, when they enter into heaven, will stand before Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, just want you to know, man, you're welcome. You're welcome. It, it was no problem. We'll all stand before him. Thank you. Thank you, because I was, I was the one who got robbed. You stopped for me. You didn't let nature take its course. You got down on your knees. You poured love into me. You committed yourself to me. You took my place so I could take yours. You put me in a safe place. No one is going to stand before Jesus and say, oh, you're welcome. We're all going to say thank you. And then those who would dare to say, I want to be the innkeeper in this story. I don't, want to, I don't want to just be on the receiving end. I want to be on the giving end. Guess what? If you live on the giving end, you end up on the receiving end. That's how the grace of God works. He says, if you would pour out what you think is yours into others, I'll pay you back. I'll, I'll pour it back into your life. We're entering a season as a church. We're going to be closer than ever. We're going to care more than ever. We're going to be more committed than ever. We're going all in. We're pushing all in. Everything we have for people. Everything we have for lost and broken and hurting people. 
I say it's the all in with two ends because in the church, everyone belongs. In a church, it doesn't matter how you got yourself, where you are, you belong. We want to we be close enough to know you well. We want to pour care into you, committed to you, committed to this journey. doesn't matter the cost. doesn't matter the, the pain. doesn't matter the, the trial because we really trust the nature of the Savior. He says, I'm coming back. I, I'm, I got you. I'm going to bless you. I've been on the receiving end of his grace. I aspire to live on the giving end of his grace. And the more I give, the more I find I'm on the receiving end of his grace all over again. Jesus says to the the teacher of the law, if you see who the, the neighbor is here, it's amazing. All of a sudden, the view is off himself. He's not trying to justify himself anymore. Jesus is like, if you can see, just go do the same. Be the innkeeper. That's the season we're walking into. You know, it's interesting. I think there are certain people who are more perceptive than others. Do you believe that? Certain people, they're like, oh, I heard this recently. And you're like, where did you hear that? Our daughter, Sophie, she's 12 every day, like without fail, every day. She's like, anyone want to know a random fact? I'm like, Sophie, did you like find a random fact website somewhere? She's like, no, it's just something I heard. It's amazing. She interacts in pretty much the same circles as all her siblings, but for some reason, She's just more perceptive to random facts. And what she puts in ends up flowing out. In the same manner, you know, you say, well, being close, what does that mean? Like find a location where people are around? Cool, I'm close. But you can be close and and distant, right? You can be present without being present. In this season we're entering into, let's be more perceptive than we've ever been before. Let's listen for pain. Let's hear for brokenness. And as we hear it, not be those who step away, but those who draw near, pouring out care, even if it takes commitment, even at any cost, because, because Jesus got us. We hope that you enjoyed this edition of the Vivid Church podcast. For more information about Vivid Church, check out our website at www.vivid.church or look us up on Instagram at vivid.church. Have the best day.